Welcome to the Asset ESG Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Yu, and today we are speaking with Zainal Islan Zainal Abidin of the Securities Commission Malaysia about the country's strategy for socially responsible and Sharia-compliant investing. Zainal, who was appointed the Deputy Chief Executive in April 2018, says the combination of green and Sharia compliance enable issuers to achieve finer pricing when issuing a sukuk. As Malaysia is the leading global center for sukuks, it has a natural advantage to lead global activity for green sukuks. Zainal also believes that when combining socially responsible investing and Islamic finance, it is important to make the economic arguments. Take a listen. So, uh, first, congratulations on your promotion. Oh, thank you. Did it make your life easier, harder, and much sure? Uh, certainly not easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we find out how hard it gets, how harder it gets. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But obviously, uh, at FC now you've been what six, seven years. Seven, seven, yeah. a bit more. Seven, a bit more. Quite different. Although time. it feels a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quite different from the private sector. <laughs> I see you were city before, right? You were the city was my was our first job. Yeah. Right? So was, uh, my first job after graduating. Yeah, I also yeah. actually did an internship with them yeah, uh, sure. when I was after between my just before my final year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's how I managed to get a permanent job after that. Yeah. Um, and you were with them for a while? Uh, well, three years. Three years. Three years three yeah. Years. Yeah, yeah. Was that, that useful? Sorry. Was that was useful? Useful. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. I think it. I guess it was. Sorry. Yeah. Silent. This was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was good in the sense that it was a multinational yeah, uh, yeah. and I guess you know the exposure immediately was quite diverse and mm. quite broad mm. and, and within the first year you get thrown into sort of regional uh, you know yeah. well not so much regional role but interact with the, our regional offices that's right, that's that's right. part of the, of yeah. the scope uh, job, job that I was doing mm-hmm. so that that actually I think helps to sort of set mm-hmm. set the tone in terms of what was to come further after that and and think, which part because I think the resources are also yeah. good that you know in a multinational typically yes, you have yes. access to a lot of information yes, yes, yes. so what, know, what years were there? Uh, 1990 yes, yes. yes. So, so those were the, 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 the only John five Reed years oh, I was only five years old at the time John Reed was it John <laughs> Reed <laughs> Uh, no, it was after John. It was uh, Rafael Giltienda, oh, oh, yeah, uh, Argentinian. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, before Sunil. Uh, yeah, yeah. After, yeah. Yeah. And then after that, you. And then after that, I moved to fund management. Mm. Uh, it was a at the time it was a joint venture mm. between a Malaysian company, which is which which is under PNB. Mm-hmm. Mm. PNB part of PNB Group, but they had a joint venture with Schroders mm. uh, of UK. Yes, yeah. So I joined as an analyst, mm-hmm. uh, worked uh, a year or so, and then I was fortunate enough to be seconded to the Shoulders office in London. Mm-hmm. So I was there for about two years, mm-hmm. helping them with the, helping the fund management team that was uh, managing portfolios for Asia Pacific. Mm-hmm. Early days of investing in Asia Pacific. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, at the time, you know, it was. But, but Shroders had been in in the region for quite is, quite a yeah. while at the That's time. True. Although they started out managing Asia Pacific out of uh, Singapore, mm-hmm. uh, and then they set up the Malaysian office, which mm-hmm. I joined, mm-hmm. um, and then I came back 
um, few years after that, just before the Asian crisis, uh, Schroeder's, uh, I don't know whether they had, you know, they, they had a foresight or mm. it was fortunate, but they divested just before the crisis. Mm. Um, so it was became 100% owned by the PNB entity. Mm. And I, I was there for, in total, uh, including the, the oh. stint in mm. the UK, yeah. Was seventeen years? Wow. Oh, sorry, fourteen years. Wow. Fourteen years with uh, in in sort of in the joint venture and then in the in the London office and then I came back. It was hundred percent owned and then there was a merger between the PNB Group, you know, Amana Capital and MIDF Group. Mm-hmm. So all that uh, all together, uh, I was fourteen years there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so by the time I left, I was C- CEO of the of the entity. Mm-hmm. MIDF uh, of mm-hmm. MIDF uh, asset management. Asset yeah. management. Yeah. Yeah. And then I went on to become the CEO of IV Cap Management, right. which was a yeah, subsidiary of Value Cap. That's so right. it was a, it was a startup at the time. So yeah. I uh, helped the shareholders to set up the mm. the entity. Yeah. The shareholders are the, the, I'm not sure how familiar you are with, with the Value Cap Group. It's essentially Hazana, mm. Coop, and uh, PNB. Mm. Uh, they were they were the shareholders, that's right, that's right. and three years there, and then for all my sins, I landed up in SC. <laughs> you had to do some national service at some point. Yes, yes, yes. 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 Well, I must say it's been a you know a, well hectic seven years, but yes. also a very you know, it was just productive and inf- mm. informative mm. seven years. Mm. I initially looked at Islamic capital market, yes. uh, almost almost sort of the, my core portfolio, yes. then. In 2016, started looking at market development as a whole as well, mm-hmm. uh, which included uh, you know, the conventional as well as Islamic. Mm-hmm. And I suppose you know, two two weeks, well, three weeks now. So, <laughs> so again, I didn't know what, what I did wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and in, in a sense, when you're thinking about uh, the se- seven years, uh, uh, what, what were the challenging parts? Because uh, you know, when you talk to the private sector, yeah. uh, you were in the private sector. Yes. And we were talking to the private sector. Yes. They always say, yes, yes it's the regulators. Yes. It's always the regulators. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, you see both sides, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> you have to try to be as responsive, but also mindful yes. of the general market. How do you balance the two sides when you think about them? Uh, well, I guess um, even more so now. You, I have to look at things more. I guess the SC will have to look at things more holistically. Yeah. It, it's it's looking at uh, the sort of what's the impact to the nation mm-hmm. effectively. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not just to the industry. Yes, mm-hmm. you know the industry is uh, the capital market is mm-hmm. our core mm-hmm. responsibility. Right? We have uh, responsibility to, to regulate and de- develop the, the mm-hmm. nation capital market. But to some extent, we also have to look beyond that and mm-hmm. see how whether that whether there is any impact significant impact to the nation mm-hmm. and we have to take that into account but even within the capital market uh, you know, previously you know as, as somebody running a fund management firm uh, your men your KPIs are quite simple it's mm-hmm. like you know your PNL mm-hmm. you know, your AUM mm-hmm. and your investment performance yes right? yeah, so yeah. it's three very clear mm-hmm. and very quantifiable mm-hmm. so what when as a regulator what we need to do is really look at Okay, if you look at fund management, yes, you know we want to develop the fund management industry. But mm. in developing the fund management industry, do we are we sort of helping to grow other parts of the capital market mm. as well, or are we doing that 
at the expense of some other segments of the capital market. So that we have to take uh, a more broader consideration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and sometimes it's not that clear. Mm. So I think that that's one of the challenges of mm. being in in. in in the SC, mm. is that uh, you really have a multitude of factors that you have to consider mm. uh, before we sort of implement some you know policies, before we introduce new products mm. or, or even revise existing guidelines. Mm. We have to look at what's the impact. Mm. And I think the the other challenge in the job is uh, you know for the SC is that we are not operating within a vacuum. Right? Mm. We are not just operating in Malaysia and we don't bother, but anything else mm. we are you know, Malaysia is a capital Malaysia is a capital market mm. that tries to attract people who have other capital markets to look at yes so if you are raising funds I mean why would you come to Malaysia to raise funds uh, when you can also do that out of you know, many other countries in the region mm. so we always have to bear in mind what our neighbors are doing mm. um, and, and we have to remain competitive uh, as a capital market Mm. where we can be also collaborative with our uh, neighbors Mm. but in the end you know it has to be balanced um, that we have to make sure that we uh, the ultimate responsibility is towards in our stakeholders Mm. uh, direct stakeholders you know the government the the industry players and the investors so we have to make sure that we do our, you know, we yeah. execute our mandate. Thinking about Malaysia, of course, the unique aspect is the Islamic element. Yes. Right? Uh, uh, when you think about the Islamic development, the Islamic market here in Malaysia, you have a, a front seat view from a regulatory perspective. And when you reflect on the last six years or so that you were so involved, what was what were some of your biggest sort of, uh, excitements and some of your biggest regrets? Mm. <laughs> well, it's, it's been very exciting, I have yeah. to say. Um, I suppose uh, to something that is tangible. Mm. Uh, one one of the I suppose achievements for the SC mm. would be the the blueprint that we uh, launched early last year, the yeah. Islamic yeah. Fund and Wealth Management yeah. Blueprint. Yeah. Right? So that is uh, you know, a comprehensive document mm. that looks at how we further develop mm. our Islamic fund and wealth management capabilities over the next five years, mm. uh, from, uh, beginning from last year. Mm. But I think, having said that, uh, I think we were also conscious that a lot of things that we have been doing, um, because we also have, uh, the SE has also developed uh, our broader capital market master plan. Yes. Uh, right? The first one was uh, I think 2000 to 2010 and then we had the second one 2011 which is ongoing until 2020 mm. so the Islamic capital market development was also part of yes. that yeah. broader master plan but we, we were also conscious that uh, you know as you say you know we have been fortunate in being uh, or recognized as, as a leader in Islamic finance mm. and we certainly feel that we need to continue mm. uh, innovating uh, providing thought leadership mm-hmm. And, and enhancing the ecosystem, not just for Malaysia, but also globally. So in that sense, uh, the blueprint was, uh, we felt was timely mm. to spur further development of the Islamic Fund and Wealth Management. Mm. Islamic Fund Management has been 
uh, growing quite nicely yes. in Malaysia in particular and mm. also some other parts of the world. The Islamic wealth management is the one that actually quite nascent. So we consciously have the blueprint that includes both, mm. right? The Islamic fund and wealth management. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, the fund management is a, a key component of wealth management as a whole, as, as you would know. Yes, yes. But we also wanted to develop the, the broader ecosystem mm. so that you know, we talk about the wealth management aspect. You know, it, it goes across all the, you know, the, the, the value chain of wealth management from wealth mm. generation to wealth uh, accumulation, wealth uh, preservation, mm. and then distribution. Mm. Right. Mm. So we are building that mm. capability and and the ecosystem across the four main segments of the wealth management value chain mm. uh, as part of this uh, blueprint. Mm. Right. Um, so that that is, uh, I would say, in, you talk about one of the sort of achievements. Mm-hmm. I think, is it, I would say it's partial achievement because mm-hmm. we we launched the blueprint, right. but certainly the, the real achievement is hopefully when we actually see the results after five years, mm-hmm. and whether we we have we are in a position to mm-hmm. to say that we have uh, substantially achieved the outcomes mm-hmm. that we wanted from the mm-hmm. blueprint. I think the vision is quite simple that we want to be the International Center for Islamic Fund and Wealth Management. Mm-hmm. How, how different, uh, just drilling on that point, how different uh, when you look at wealth management, which is a new aspect, is it from, let's say, wealth man- management conventionally versus wealth management from an Islamic perspective? Yeah. How, how different do you see that? I think the many components are, are similar and mm. can be shared. Yes. Um, but I think uh, there's some differences are in I suppose the products mm. and, and the services. Mm. So certainly, uh, you know, in, in in a wealth management uh, for wealth management products would need to be Sharia compliant, of course. Right? Yeah. So they have to abide yeah. by the what's stipulated within the Sharia. Mm. Um, so that creates uh, sort of its own challenges and opportunities. Yeah. Right? Um, challenges are that thing overall. There are not as many Sharia compliant products as there are conventional. Mm. Right? So that's, that's yes. um, on the other hand, the opportunity is really for us is because there are not that many mm. such products and services. Is uh, we can actually have um, a sort of head start mm. in terms of developing new products and also enhancing the mm. current products that mm. we have. So, for example, you know, talk about Sukuk, mm. and and Malaysia is a market leader for Sukuk. And you know we have also I think this leads to also the other I guess achievement that we've done is the the SRI Sukuk framework that we developed and introduced in 2014. Mm-hmm. So um, Sukuk is you know is, is the general asset class, right? yes. but we in 2014 we decided to introduce the SRI Sukuk framework mm-hmm. because we wanted to also reach out to those who may not necessarily see Sharia product as something they, they would look at, but they may look at SRI, right? Uh, and in this case, SRI or ESG. Mm. We have decided to use the term SRI mm. to also encompass uh, things like ESG, mm. social impact, yeah, yeah. And, and the likes. So so that uh, in 2014, was you know, it was introduced. Mm. Um, uh, 2015, we had the first issuance of uh, SRI Suku under the, the framework that the SE introduced. Mm. It was a social impact. Uh, Suku by Khazana mm-hmm. uh, for uh, education-related right. purpose. Yeah. 
And last year, actually, it was a big breakthrough that we had with the Green SRI Sukuk. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, you know, Malaysia was the first, you know, the, the, the well, the first global SRI Green Sukuk was actually issued out of Malaysia for the uh, development of a solar project, right? the construction. Yeah. And and I think after that, you know, there, there have been four issuances mm-hmm. uh, under the SRI Suku guidelines, and there are a few more in the pipeline. Which hopefully you know we get to see some of this come to the market uh, this year as well, and that has actually attracted quite a lot of attention and interest, mm-hmm. and and not just from the your typical uh, you know your traditional Sharia compliant investors who who look for Sharia compliant products, but also from yeah. uh, investors yeah. who look for SRI products, mm-hmm. and even your general conventional investors. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so that that is one area that we feel is is very exciting, a lot of potential. Yeah. Um, and one of the thrusts for our blueprint, mm-hmm. going back to the blueprint, that uh, we had the three strategic thrusts in the blueprint. The second strategic thrust is actually to develop Malaysia as a regional center for Sharia compliant SRI. Mm-hmm. Right. So so it's a very conscious effort on our part. Uh, is an opportunity that we see is is there where we think there is a lot of things, a lot of uh, sort of scope yeah. for further growth, mm-hmm. and because uh, it's largely untapped, mm-hmm. that yes, you know, green bonds. I think a lot of people talk about green bonds and the market for green bonds. I think last year was about hundred fifty five billion US dollars. Yeah. Um, so if you if you look. Even logically, mm-hmm. right? Um, a lot of the projects that go for that that going to green projects mm-hmm. are either you know infrastructure related, mm-hmm. or environmentally related, yep. and these are typically Sharia compliant, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Then, mm-hmm. unless there's some aspect that make it mm-hmm. not, uh, but typically they're Sharia compliant. Yep. And and if you issue a Sharia compliant bond versus a Sharia, uh, sorry, a green bond versus a green suku you are opening your investor base by uh, very substantially, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, investors like uh, you know, Tabung Haji, our pilgrimage board, uh, even now EPF has mm-hmm. allocated a certain part of the fund for Sharia compliant investments. Mm-hmm. Um, your Middle East investors, your Takaful operators, mm-hmm. these guys can only invest in Sharia compliant products. Mm-hmm. So all else being equal, mm. I mean, and that's also another point. Probably I, I will go into mm. slight, slightly later. Mm. All else being equal, uh, it, it makes more sense to issue a Sharia compliant suk- uh, a green suku, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, because you're reaching out as an issuer, you're reaching out to a broader investor base, mm. and you should get better pricing as yeah. a result yes. Right? Yes. because of the demand. Uh, but going back to the point, all as being equal, I think Malaysia has an advantage in 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 this regard because we have actually uh, facilitated the issuance of suku mm. uh, by having um, uh, a level playing field in terms of the tax uh, implications for suku issuance. Mm. I think in in many conventional jurisdiction where they don't have this tax neutrality uh, uh, element, it is more expensive to issue suku. Right. Uh, then it is because of the additional documentation, uh, additional uh, Im- implications on sale and purchase transactions that need to to, to happen in a suku transaction. Mm-hmm. But because uh, Malaysia has uh, come in and, and, and yeah. the government has yeah. uh, enabled a tax neutrality environment, mm-hmm. so 
it is actually mm. about equal in terms of the issuing costs for sukuk vis-a-vis uh, bonds. So that has actually been, you know, again uh, one of the key, uh, suppose, uh, uh, key element of the Malaysian Islamic capital market ecosystem, right? That we have looked at, you know, the different components of the ecosystem very comprehensively and consciously look to address in areas where there are possible uh, hurdles or you know, challenges. Would you say, uh, in a sense, this initiative in 2014, and of course with SRI, is that sort of a natural extension when you think about you know, Sukuk and the success of Malaysia in building the Sukuk market, and now with SRI building into it, the way yeah. you describe it, it seems like an expansion and a broadening of that. Uh, yes. uh, and when you think about where we are today, I know that you mentioned that some of the fund managers have started to dedicate, right? But today, of course, it's very early days. We're not seeing any of that advantages. Uh, what do you think, uh, we're seeing issuers coming, but what do you think should be next in order to see uh, it actually creating real value, mm -hmm. right, to, to, to the marketplace? The SRI Suku specifically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, the one is, I think there needs to be greater awareness mm. uh, on on that segment, yeah. right? Um, I mean, not, not just for Suku, but SRI overall. Yeah. Uh, particularly in this part of the world, I think Asia, maybe exit Japan, mm. tends to be, um, I suppose, less uh, aware mm. of the SRI. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of, uh, yeah. agenda if I could use that word um, you see the US and especially in, in Europe yes. and, and in the Scandinavian countries in particular that they, they actually embrace this very yeah. uh, sort of religiously mm. uh, so one is that creating greater awareness mm. of of SRI mm. and here I'm, I'm not just referring to just talking about the, uh, the similarities between SRI and Islamic mm. principles, but the re really going into what are the economic benefits mm. of uh, you know, actually adopting SRI practices. Because yeah. I think in the end, you can talk about similarities, but if they really don't see any impact on for them themselves, yeah. there, there is very little traction you can or you know it won't be sustainable i mean a, a bit of pun on the word but yeah. yes. <laughs> you know that, that interest won't be sustainable Absolutely. Uh, but if you can show uh, a conventional uh, entity that mm -hmm. by adopting sri practices you are actually going to save in the longer term or even the medium term uh, x amount of dollars or you can translate into you know uh, how many ringgit or i mean dollars in terms of the the value of your company Certainly, I'm, I'm certain, you know, the management and shareholders of the company would, would you know, pay more attention to the, the idea. Right? So that's that's the awareness that we need to work on. Uh, I think the, then the part about linking the SRI to principles to Islamic, right? Because once you, you've created awareness about the benefits of, of SRI, then you also then create the link between SRI and Islamic. Then you know, that that that's where we hope those who may not necessarily look for Sharia compliant products, mm -hmm. but uh, would like to be to invest in a responsible and sustainable manner, mm -hmm. would would include 
Sharia products as part of their investable universe. Yes. Right? And this is already happening in from in the Islamic funds perspective mm. because uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the the GSIA report, mm. right? Mm. Uh, and Malaysia is actually the, has the largest market share in Asia is Japan mm. uh, when it comes to SRI funds, mm. uh, AUM, mm. by virtue of our Islamic funds, yes, right? Yes, yes. And so it is already recognized out there mm. by a, a third party uh, association that Islamic funds are actually part of the SRI universe. Mm. So what what we need to do is to to keep that awareness momentum going and 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 it has to be something which really can you know, it goes into the the economic argument and not just uh, emotive argument. Yeah. Then I think that the other part is uh, the other element which is also important is to increase the number of participants or intermediaries mm. who are providing this service, mm. right? Mm. So you, the more that you have, uh, you know, fund managers who look at this uh, segment, develop funds, introduce funds that are SRI compliant and Sharia compliant, then uh, you know there are more options in the market. But that has to come with uh, also more products, mm. in underlying products that yeah. that meet the criteria. Mm.